Slow Burn Media, Evergreen Podcasts, and Killer Podcasts presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. On top of breaking news, after more than three decades, three local families find closure in their loved ones' cold case homicides. Alan Wilmer Sr. died several years ago, but tonight he's accused of killing two people in Isla White County and another person in Hampton. The duo found shot to death in Isla White was part of the commonly phrased Colonial Parkway murders. Angelique Arantock has the story. The suspect accused of carrying out the killings is Alan Wilmer Sr. of the Northern Neck. Because he was never in the system, he was never in the CODIS database, there was no hit. So we had a common suspect, he just had not been identified. It was this summer when investigators say DNA evidence linked Wilmer to the victims. According to Virginia State Police, Wilmer is responsible for the death of 29-year-old Teresa Terry Howell after she disappeared in Hampton in 1989. Wilmer is also accused of shooting and killing 20-year-old David Nobling and 14-year-old Robin Edwards in Isle of Wight County in 1987. The duo became known as victims in a series of double homicides coined as the Colonial Parkway murders. Hello and welcome to Who Killed? It's another very special episode with our guest, Bill Thomas. I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media, Evergreen Podcast and Killer Podcast production. Last week, we got into some of the updates in the Colonial Parkway murders and some of the issues that are at hand in this investigation and some of the things that may have been overlooked and that's being generous uh, throughout the four decades that these families have been looking for answers. But back to join me again is the one and only Bill Thomas. So welcome back to the show. Thank you again. Thanks, Bill Huffman. And just in case, if you didn't listen to... (laughs) the first part of this conversation this second part will not make any sense but if you did thanks for coming back and there's so much more to talk about absolutely and we kind of have alluded to some of this stuff and you alluded to some of the stuff at the end and that was about you know kind of the how how do you put it without sounding too detrimental how some of these organizations will go about things to cover up their lack of maybe it was protocol or their lack of investigation or maybe just other things that played into uh, why they didn't bring this particular suspect in. And can you expand a little bit? It doesn't have to be about this case, but you know, we've seen it in other cases where uh police chiefs and, you know, district attorneys and certain people involved do not want to see a case solved. And so they muddle the investigation or they just, maybe it's not that they don't want to see it solved. It's that they just, they know that they kind of screwed it up. And so they don't want it to be public. Yeah. It's really difficult, Bill. I don't see myself as a critic of law enforcement and I want to help law enforcement do its job and solve these cold cases. But when you see such significant effort made in avoiding discussing details about the case, which are important, and they're 
being completely glossed over. As we talked about last week, the this press conference, when I finally had a chance to watch it that evening, because the FBI had tied me up on a scheduled conference call set for 1.30 p.m., the exact same time as the press conference was launching. And if you think that's a coincidence, I've got a bridge I can sell you in Brooklyn and several other locations where I used to live. <laughs> that wasn't a coincidence that they tied me up for a two-plus-hour conference call at 1.30 p.m. on the day they announced the press conference. And it's not a coincidence when the other Colonial Parkway murders families are called in for a briefing on Saturday and told that the Keith Call Cassandra Haley disappearance has been solved. And then on Monday, when the press conference takes place, that's never mentioned because they don't want to talk about the fact that the named suspect, now deceased, Alan Wade Wilmer Sr., who's been linked by DNA to the murder of three other people, was also the leading suspect in the disappearance of Keith Call and Cassandra Haley. They literally went out of their way to avoid talking about it. Back to the family briefing, the Saturday before the Monday press conference, a bunch of things were told to the various families, and then they were sworn to secrecy, and they were told specifically, and this is with all the FBI and Virginia State Police heavy hitters in the room, they're told, do not discuss this with Bill Thomas, the brother of one of the other victims, because they don't want me to say anything or to criticize. And then, ironically, I'm tied up on a conference call at 1.30 p.m. on the day the announcement is rolling out, which, by the way, they didn't inform me of. And I'm not trying to make this about me. I'm just saying... When I finally saw the press conference at 10 o'clock that night, because as you can imagine, my phone exploded. While I was on the phone with the FBI, I'm getting text after text after text from colleagues and supporters from around the country saying, where are you? Are you watching this? Why aren't you responding? Why have you gone radio silent? And of course, I was on a scheduled conference call, which now I realize was scheduled quite deliberately to prevent me from seeing the live event. So when I finally see the, the press conference that night at 10 o'clock at night, I realize watching this press conference, which is available online, by the way, if you want to spend a half an hour of your life, I, I said, what is going on here? There's like important information here and we're thrilled to hear that a murderer has been linked to the murder of our friends, Robin Edwards and David Nobling's loved ones. So we're thrilled beyond measure because I know it might sound odd, but this is actually good news when you are looking for answers for over 30 years in your loved one's murder. I said on our Mind Over Murder podcast the other day to my co-host Kristen Dilley, I don't think there's a card I can buy at the card store that 
says congratulations for finding out who killed your loved one. So it's a pretty odd dynamic. All I can do is reach out to these people and tell them I'm thinking of them because it's, it's pretty strange to be looking for answers in the murder of your son or daughter, brother or sister for over 30 years and then finally get the news. But I think it's good news. I certainly, when I find out who killed my sister Kathy Thomas and her girlfriend Rebecca Dowski, and I think it's quite possible it's the same man, Alan Wade Wilmer Sr., I will regard that as a good day. And I will right. regard that as good news because my family's been looking for these answers for all these years. But when I'm watching their press conference with this good news mixed in, I'm also saying, what's all this hide the ball that's going on here? They're clearly going out of their way to not let the public know in Virginia and across the country that this man, Alan Wade Wilmer Sr., is also linked to one of the other Colonial Parkway murders, that of Keith Call and Cassandra Haley. And you think to yourself, when law enforcement seems more focused on covering up their mistakes than moving a case forward, I think that's the kind of thing that gets in the way of solving cold cases like ours. Yeah, I mean, I think in your case, I think in the Long Island serial killer case, you know, having people in charge that are not of the caliber of person that maybe say you and I are, or some of these other investigators. I mean, again, with the Long Island serial killer case, the police chief was clearly involved with sex workers and he had a, his own thing that was going on and he's protecting his own image and he doesn't want to get roped into what's going on with these bodies. And it's interesting because by doing so, he made himself a suspect. You know, it's um, it's interesting in that regard. Like, and you know, we've talked. I mean, I've talked with Jesse Pollock. I've talked with Nick. I've talked with a bunch of people about the Long Island serial killer case, Maggie Freeling, and um, you know, we. She thought for a good portion of the time that he was probably the best suspect, and then you see Rex Howerman come in and be the suspect and be indicted on four murders. Uh, it is kind of sad to the families. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing to the police. And I think that's the reason why they don't come out with some of this stuff, like full transparency, like we've talked about before, because there's some things that go on in these investigations that they screw up and that we expect more and they don't want to be held accountable. And then, and then this is completely like making an offhand reference, but it's like the, how the NFL referees don't have to answer to the media after games. If they make a bad call, you know, it's, they're not being held accountable. And so the, you have law enforcement officials who can run the city police or the local police and keep out other entities such as like the FBI. And that's what happened with Lisk and uh, chief Burke. It's just the way it went. And that case should have been solved much earlier than it was. Like we mentioned, I think off air about the avalanche, you know, that they had that tip years and years ago and they could have figured that out. 
it's sad, man. It's just one of those things that's like they do this to the families and they do this to protect their own behinds because they want to have a job and they don't want to be held. I mean, look at Uvalde, like what happened there. That's all just cover up, cover up, cover up. Like, and the same thing, the same thing's happening in the colonial parkway murders. Alan Wade Wilmer senior, the named suspect now deceased in the colonial parkway murders. He's confirmed as a serial killer by the FBI's own definitions. He killed three people in two different locations including Robin Edwards and David Knobling and Teresa Howell, which is a case that we were less familiar with. It hadn't been linked with the Colonial Parkway murders at that point. But they had this suspect, the very same Alan Wade Wilmer Sr., was the leading suspect in the disappearance of Keith Call and Cassandra Haley in 1988. <sighs> If the FBI had done its job in 1988, Teresa Howell would be alive today because she's killed after they let Alan Wade Wilmer Sr. and another suspect go in April 1988, and she's killed in June 1989. So this man, Wilmer, was emboldened by the FBI's failure to follow up and then he's a serial killer. He literally went right back out and was killing people under their noses. And this part just makes us insane. I don't see myself as a critic of law enforcement, Bill, but some of the cases you just mentioned, if you stop and think about it, that information was always there. And it's the, it's the lack of follow-up. What I don't understand is, the case agents said they were absolutely convinced in 1988 that they had identified Alan Wade Wilmer Sr. as the Colonial Parkway killer. And yet, somehow, after this lie detector test is administered, they drop him as a subject. Now, we've had two agents handling the Colonial Parkway murders over the last 15 years. One person for five years, the last and current agent for 10 years. Their job was to go back and review all of the suspects. If those agents from the the early era of the Colonial Parkway murders, 1986 to 1989, when they all happened, if they were so convinced they had the right guy back in 1988, why didn't they ever convey that in a timely fashion Back to the current agents. I'm told that in 2020, a conversation took place where one of those key agents said to the current agent, well, that's all well and good after a case briefing. I still like my guy. Question back to the retired agent. Who's your guy? He says, Alan Wade Wilmer Sr., but it doesn't matter because he's dead. He died in 2017. This is in fall 2020. What happened to all that information before 2020? Why didn't the current case agents know from the earlier case agents, who are still alive, who they thought the most likely people were? The, the, the lack of internal 
information sharing, which I thought was supposed to be one of the strengths of the FBI, seems to be completely lacking in the Colonial Parkway murders, leading directly to more and more homicides. Yeah, you know, you'd think about these uh, missteps, these uh, lack of communication, this uh, interagency, you know, not wanting to share too much information with one person. And I don't know if it's an ego thing or I want to solve it. Let's solve it. You know, we want to be the guys. You saw it happen. I know this is another extreme example, but you saw it happen in 9-11 with the fact that they had all this information that there was an attack coming, but the different agencies didn't put it all together because they weren't talking to one another. And it's just one of those things where it's like you could have put it together. And now we have police chiefs and we have law enforcement agents that will – skew an investigation whether or not it's for their own purposes or for somebody else's nefarious it may not even be nefarious it just may be covering their ass because they don't want to get um run through the public opinion mill of you know they should have done this and they should have done that but at the same time if they won't acknowledge that mistakes were made Accept them. How do you solve? How them? do you solve a case like this? And my relate, or how do you prevent them from happening again in the future? I mean, that's another thing. It's like if you don't acknowledge your mistakes, you're just des- destined to repeat them. So exactly, I-, I screw up plenty in my life. I'll give you an example. In this case, um, I've been participating for years in discussion groups talking about the Colonial Parkway murders. You know, online discussion groups. Smart people, thoughtful people, offering just different insights. One uh, woman in particular who's extremely smart and a crackerjack researcher. She goes by Cleo in this group. I, I know her real name, of course, but and she and I have talked offline. But Cleo has said on a number of occasions in one discussion group I'm part of that she believed that the Colonial Parkway murders had been killed by someone who was utilizing a boat. And I think this is a failure on my part. I think it's, I never lived in Virginia. I didn't go up in this, what they call the Tidewater area, because there's all these rivers, the York River, the James River, and a whole bunch of different inlets. And then they flow out to the Chesapeake Bay. And this and this is where they do a lot of oyster fishing, like you yeah, mentioned. In exactly. The first, in the first part, part one, because a lot of the oysters that... Um, I mean, that even end up in like Cleveland or yeah, out here, yeah. in, out here in Denver. You know, they um, they come from that area, yeah, of, that area, of Virginia and Maryland. Well, Cleo, and they're usually named for the area that they're from, right? And Cleo said repeatedly, she's a crackerjack, very, very smart. She said repeatedly she thought that the killer or killers might have used a boat because all of these incidents are happening right next to the water, the James River, the York River, and other bodies of water. And maybe it's just a failure of imagination on my part and not growing up in Virginia. I just didn't get it. And I kept saying, that's ridiculous. There's plenty of roads there. I think they would have used a car or a truck, you know, that kind of stuff. And now I realize that Alan Wade Wilmer Sr. likely did use this boat, the Denny Wade, that he often lived on for weeks or months at a time, which would allow him to stay in various ports 
right there in the middle of where all the Colonial Parkway murders were going on. He would come down as a waterman to go crabbing and fishing. And I just didn't get it. So I rejected that theory. I'm not saying I wasn't prepared to be wrong. And Cleo's probably a lot smarter than I am. Turns out she was right. And then other people had said to me, they thought the Colonial Parkway murders were all related. And I fell back on things like there's nothing in the forensics that links the Colonial Parkway murders. They feel different. Sometimes a gun is used. Sometimes it's not. Although you have to be careful when you don't have bodies. When, when couples disappear or are so badly deteriorated, uh, when their bodies are found, you can't even determine cause of death. You've got to be real careful. But I had said several times, numerous times, I didn't think they were all related. And now we're thinking maybe they are. We know for sure Alan Wade Wilmer is directly linked to the Colonial Parkway murder of Robin Edwards and David Nobling via DNA. And then he was a leading suspect in the disappearance of Keith Call and Cassandra Haley. So he's linked to at least two of the four double homicides. But shame on me. I always said I was prepared to be wrong, but... I didn't think I was going to be wrong this many times. You know, it's not so much of a lack of imagination. I think it's just the Occam's razor uh, theory Mm -hmm. that you just, you know, obviously the most likely scenario is the scenario. Throw in a boat. Well, you throw in a boat. It also brings up something interesting. And the interesting thing that it brings up is the fact that there were two people brought in for polygraph tests. Correct. And so if somebody's using a boat and somebody's, say, using a truck and they're cornering these people in mm-hmm. and say... Could make sense. It could make sense. And, and there was obviously somebody there that could fit that profile of who that person might be. Right. And I don't think it takes a genius to figure out what we're what i'm insinuating and it's certainly interesting to think that in the case of where the gun was used that could have been a situation where there wasn't two people involved exactly so it makes you wonder that you know it wasn't necessarily something that they went out and did together it just may have happened that way or the opposite happened where he stumbled across them by himself and just figured you know i'm gonna i'm just gonna do what i've been doing but i'm gonna do it by myself and this is how i'm gonna control the situation right now this guy's an avid hunter alan wade wilmer senior i actually believe that he was always looking for opportunities He raped and killed single women and couples. Um, I think he was always hunting. He's an avid outdoorsman. He's a crack shot, as are other members of his family. He's a championship archer. He would win best bowman at these statewide, I'm sorry, countrywide, I'm sorry again, at these countywide competitions up in Lancaster County, which is his home turf, where he was often away for weeks or months down in the Colonial Parkway area. But this guy's a master woodsman. They said that 
when law enforcement had him under surveillance, he would disappear into the woods for days or even weeks at a time. He would hunt his own food. He would camp out. They said he would literally disappear into the woods. And they'd be sitting there, these agents, who were trying to follow him. And the guy was basically impossible to follow. So he was a master on the water. As a waterman, he knew those inlets, the bay, and and the rivers, like the back of his hand. And he could slip in and out of these places in his That's boat right. unnoticed. And this is where I just don't think I quite got it, that just how good this guy was. And now when I think about it, he's bold enough to be continuing to act as a serial killer even after being interrogated, questioned by the FBI, given a lie detector test, and perhaps we're hearing even a second lie detector test, and slipping through their hands, he just goes right back to killing people. I think if the FBI and Virginia State Police do their jobs, as I said last week, I think Alan Wade Wilmer Sr. will be linked to a number of other unsolved rapes and murders in Virginia. I think they should be looking at North Carolina. We just heard about a case in North Carolina where when you look online at the murder of a beautiful young lady named Amber Lundgren, L-U-N-D-G-E-R-N, she's murdered in 1997. When you look at the newspaper articles with a sketch of the man they're looking for, it looks just like Wilmer. And the truck they're looking for, and you read the description, it's Wilmer's truck. Now, Wilmer transitioned from being a waterman sometime around the end of the Colonial Parkway murders, as we know them, in the late 80s. And he has moved into being a, uh, a tree cutter. I wouldn't call him a tree surgeon, which is what we call him in New England, but, you know, he trims trees, cuts trees. Arborist. Arborist is pretty fancy title. (laughs) (laughs) But my point is this. When Amber Lundgren was murdered in 1997 in Asheville, North Carolina, there had been massive storms resulting in a tremendous amount of damage to trees. Woodsmen, woodcutters, came in from all over the tri-state area to cut trees. And remember, there's a lot of money in, you know, storm cleanup. And this Oh, there's there's tons you see it with roofing, you see yeah, it I mean Exactly. That, After a hurricane or major storm event, you see people coming in from all over and they, you know, they need to work. I get it. They come yeah. in and they help with the storm cleanup and they make a lot of money in a fairly short period of time. Well, we read that there were major storms in summer 1997. And this is right around the same time that Amber Lundgren is raped and murdered in a, in a way that seems very similar to the Teresa Howell example, that murder that he's already been linked to via DNA. I think our friends in law enforcement, I reached out to the detective in Asheville who's retired, but he continues to handle this case. I didn't hear back from him, but I, he's probably swamped. I'm not saying he needs to return Bill Thomas's call before anybody else's. But we did let the FBI and the Virginia State Police know 
about this, and we did let the Asheville PD know about this. I'm not trying to be hysterical. I'm just trying to say, hey, when you, you said you were looking for tips, and there's a big outreach now going on for anyone that knew anything about Alan Wade Wilmer Sr. to please contact the FBI and the Virginia State Police, which we totally support. We want to help them in any way that we can build out a timeline. But this is challenging to do this more than 30 years later. But hopefully people will remember this guy. He drove a very distinctive truck. He's a very distinctive boat. And then he himself is also physically very distinctive because he's only five foot five inches tall, but a heavily muscled outdoorsman. But he's really, really short. So we're hoping people will come forward with more info. Yeah, in the in the height, you know, that thing about being so short, you definitely have to assume that a gun was always in play yeah. because it just gives you that extra bit of confidence. And I hate to use that word because it's you're accomplishing or your goals are disgusting, but it does give you that sort of insurance claim of, uh, you know, if they try anything and they get a move on me, I've got the gun and you know, right. that's pretty much going to prevent anybody. And he's also attacking vulnerable situation yeah and that you know that seems these, to have happened not, dozens of times including many couples that survived an encounter with this guy and he did shoot uh robin edwards and david nobling to death in the case he's been linked to directly via dna he he shot both of them and of course as part of that he raped robin as well so the gun is definitely part of the mix and as i said on mind over murder recently well, he may have only been five foot five inches tall, but you put a gun in his hand and he's 10 feet tall. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, my question is when they did that search of their house and they seized guns, did they return those guns to? I don't know. Getting a straight answer out of the FBI is basically impossible. And we don't know. We don't know the answer to that. It's something you would think you would have an answer for, especially if, you know, they say the DNA is what linked them. But if they have a weapon that in their possession that was used in the crime, I mean, I would hope that they would share that. Um, I would hope so. I don't know the answer to that, Bill. Right, right. And, you know, I want to go back to his brother just for a quick second. You know, did he ever have any like. Was he ever accused of any other crimes, anything along those lines? Well, if you read this article, A Murder on the Rappahannock, in the Washingtonian magazine, the story came out a couple of years ago. It's a fascinating read. A Murder on the Rappahannock, that's the river up there. Um, that article makes it quite clear that Keith Wilmer was a suspect in the brutal rape murder of a lovely young woman named I just lost her last name. Hold on. While you're looking for that, mm. in this in this case, was he uh, the only suspect, or was he yeah, I got was, it. Uh, was he a suspect with uh, another individual? Well, the the article makes clear that he was a suspect in the murder of Mary Harding, and. Then the only suspect? Well, other suspects are named, and ultimately a man named Emerson Stevens was put away for the crime. Right. Uh, 
he was released from jail after serving 31 years. They're not acknowledging that that was a wrongful conviction, but it clearly was. And among the other suspects was Keith Wilmer. Okay, where there's smoke, there's fire. I've been doing this a long time. You've been investigating this case forever. Um, you know, brothers live together in a in a tiny house. You know, not a tiny house like we know tiny houses today, but you know, in a small bungalow, we'll call it. Yeah, and you know, there's not really much going on in the the '80s. I mean, other than you know, I mean, there's cable and stuff like that, but there's a lot of free time. And uh, especially if you're an outdoorsman, you want to be outside a lot. So I could just picture these guys kind of just roaming the area looking for the next high, uh, whether or not it's killing somebody or raping somebody or doing whatever. But I think that there has to be some connection between the brothers and some of these crimes because they're just too damn close to one another. If he lived in another part of the state, if he lived in another part of the country, maybe not, but dude lived under the same roof. Well, the Wilmer brothers, plural, have been suspected in a number of other rapes and murders extending back into the 70s. It's probably also worth mentioning that Keith Wilmer's wife, Brenda Pittman Wilmer, whom he's still married to, worked with this woman, Mary Harding, at the Lancaster Bank. So apparently they were co-workers and friends. And now the theories are coming forward that perhaps Brenda Pittman Wilmer may have shared something with her coworker and friend, Mary Harding, and that resulted in Mary Harding being murdered to silence. Uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Uh, you know, this is a very convoluted aspect of the story because I think in these crimes, and some of them specifically, requires two people. You know, a gun, yes, we can say a gun, but I just do think that there's there's somebody else involved. And we always talk about how it's so hard to keep a conspiracy under wraps because, you know, the other person's most likely to talk and blah, 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 blah. Well, when you're a blood relative, your brother, you know, I, I'm not going to say he's involved 100% because, you know, there's nothing that connects him to it. But there is enough circumstantial evidence to at least ask the question. Mm -hmm. And that's where I find things like they brought in two individuals for polygraphs, but we only know the name of one of them. And, you know, who's the other one? Well, I don't think it would take much digging, right? I mean, it's... It depends on whether or not the FBI wants that to come out. Yeah. Well, one of the things you and I've talked about before, Bill, is that the logistics of even just the Colonial Parkway murders scenes seem to cry out for a second person to help move and stage the vehicles that the victims were driving. The vehicles are clearly staged. 
Um, I'm hearing from retired investigators now that many of them say that Alan Wade Wilmer, who's been a suspect in a number of different homicides, that he liked to play games with the investigators, that he would leave um, taunts is the word they use. This is this has come up for years that he liked to leave uh, different aspects of the crime scene arranged in certain ways as a, as a way of saying up yours to the investigators, as in you're never going to find me. For instance, there's a very odd turkey feather roach clip on the outside of the window that shows up in incident number four in the Colonial Parkway murders. That's the, the one where Anna Maria Phelps and Daniel Lauer disappear on Interstate 64 and their bodies are found in a hunt club. Uh, note that it's a hunt club. This is a place that perhaps Wilmer hunted there either illegally, which he often did, or as a guest of one of the members of the hunt club. But there's this very large roach clip with this large turkey feather on it that's on the outside of the window on the Chevy Nova, abandoned at the rest stop. Their bodies are found six weeks later at this hunt club a mile or mile and a half uh, off of Interstate 64. But the investigators from the Virginia State Police, who were the lead investigation agency in that case, said they regarded this as a taunt, that he was saying, you can't catch me. And he was deliberately leaving odd, out-of-place clues. There's a very odd, out-of-place clue in Kathy and Becky's murder, my sister Kathy and Rebecca Dowski in 1986. There's a, fl a church flyer in, in the car. Now, yeah, it could have been left on the uh, windscreen of the Honda. You know, people will leave something when you're in a parking lot and you just take it and put it in the back. Now, Kathy's a real neat Nick. This is my younger sister. She went to the Naval Academy. She's uh, just retired from the Navy after serving for five years. She's a super neat Nick and very into the environment. So she's not going to throw the piece of paper on the ground. She's going to put it in the back of her car and then throw it away. But at the same time, it's just odd. It jumps out at you. It's a church flyer from a church that actually was known to be pretty anti-LGBTQ. So why is that flyer in my sister's car? It's just, it's one of those things that's weird and it kind of stands out. And the FBI agents from the very beginning of the case said, what's going on here? Why? You know, the windshield is a possibility, but it just jumped out at them as like a very odd thing for Kathy to have in her car. Did the killer or killers leave it there as a, a, an odd clue to throw off the investigators? So what retired investigators are saying to me now is, we believe that Wilmer liked to play games with the investigators. And this seemed to be part of Alan Wade Wilmer Sr.'s approach to serial killing. Makes you wonder about the Shenandoah murders then. It does. And yeah. remember the FBI said 
they were looking into the fact that the 1996 murder of Julie Williams and Lolly Winans was considered substantially similar to the murders of uh, and there was a Kathy random, and Becky. They left, you know, that random thing that they left there, the sex yeah, toy. The sex toy. What was that about? Yeah. And it's not like, um, I mean, if you've seen a picture of it, it's not your average. Uh, it doesn't look like much fun. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It just looks like something that is not meant to be there. It's certainly out of place, in my opinion. But again, I'm not an investigator, but. Well, and there's a, <laughs> another weird thing that I, I've thought about recently. And believe me, I'm pathetic enough to just keep, you know, thoughts buzzing through my head. The last few weeks have been pretty stressful. So why sleep when you can think about the Colonial Parkway murder? <laughs> but it's well, only been your life for. <laughs> one of the things I've thought about recently is was Alan Wade Wilmer Sr., targeting same-sex couples. Kathy and Becky are murdered. They're the first murderer in what we call the Colonial Parkway murders. There's a same-sex couple, and we believe that Kathy and Becky may have actually been killed, and the car moved afterward. Note the moving of the car again. Mm -hmm. At a place called the Ringfield Plantation Picnic Area, which is well and widely known as a gay cruising spot. Now, the spot where Robin Edwards and David Nobling were killed at Ragged Island is also known as a gay cruising spot. Further, one of the couples who survived a very scary encounter with Alan Wade Wilmer Sr. said that when he came up to the car and banged on the window very aggressively, which he had done, they now believe, dozens of times on the Colonial Parkway, he said something to this boy-girl couple along the lines of, are you girls having fun? That's kind of a weird thing to say, considering a year and a half prior, a same-sex couple had been killed literally just down the road on the Colonial Parkway. The, the man who had long hair, who was you know engaged in kissing his girlfriend or whatever, turned to faced the window and Wilmer apparently backed down. But what a weird thing to say right after, a year and a half after the murder of a same-sex couple, are you girls having fun? Yeah, it could just be an expression, but it's kind of a weird one considering same-sex couples are being targeted and he's hitting places that are known to be same-sex couple romantic and sexual encounter places. Yeah. Yeah, that's, again, that's, you You have to wonder what the motivations were behind any of these killings. Was it just a sadistic serial killer that got his jollies off of controlling these women, or was he... You know, not politically motivated, but was he hate driven? Were these hate crimes? You you have to ask these questions, and then you have to dig into his background, see where you know where he was. I guess, uh, you know, theologically, I guess if that's a thing. If, if you're a serial killer, your your uh, your God is Satan. But um, 
it's just one of those uh i'll i'll put it out there i don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of this but i wouldn't be surprised if he actually might have raped some of the men as well this isn't about sex this is about control this is about his sick pathological need to dominate and terrorize these couples uh like deliverance uh, yeah, not dissimilar, you know, so I don't, I don't think this is straight up about sex. I think that Wilmer may come thing. out and, and he, I think he's from a highly abusive family. Um, we've been talking to uh, FBI profilers like Jim Clemente and Laura Richards sure. from Scotland Yard. And, you know, every time I talk to these brilliant people who've worked our case or uh, investigated similar crimes, They've, they've said to me, they think this is going to go much further and that Alan Wade Wilmer, if the FBI and the Virginia State Police and associated agencies do their jobs, he will be linked to a number of other unsolved rapes and murders in Virginia and perhaps adjoining states. And they reiterated, they think this guy sends up so many red flags. He certainly does. And I know Jim Clemente as well. I was on uh, Best Case, Worst Case with uh, oh, James wow. Rudd. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we did a live show back in, uh, I don't know, 2018, 2019. Oh, I'm like sorry. That. I would have loved to have seen that one. <laughs> yeah, that was good. We talked about the Amy Mahalovic case. But, yeah. uh, you know, Jim was definitely uh, an, a very knowledgeable guy. And obviously, he's been everywhere. You You see him everywhere. And what's his opinion on being a two-person job. Does he, he have any thoughts on that? He and Laura Richards, we guested, Kristen Dilley and I guested on their podcasts, both um, Real Crime Profile and then right. on a Crime Analyst, Laura's um, podcast as well. And then they also appeared as guests, which we really appreciated, on uh, Mind Over Murder. And we learned so much from them. They are horrified. I, 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 people could, couldn't believe how strongly they expressed their opinion. They're horrified that they let Wilmer go. They said, this guy checks so many boxes, it's insane. They said, we're seeing lots of what they call precursor activity. Mm -hmm. You know, he's involved yeah. in peeping Tom activity and sexual assaults, and it just keeps escalating just like so many others. And they both feel it's extremely likely he has an accomplice because of the just the logistics alone of moving boats and cars of victims and perhaps of offenders. Everything is so complicated. It's much more easily facilitated, <coughs> excuse me, if there is a someone there to help, even if they're not necessarily there for the murders, but there to help with the logistics of the moving and staging of vehicles. And, and then, of course, the getaway, which can be via boat, it could be via truck, or some combination thereof. It's certainly... <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> <Man. clears throat> We're both doing it. Mm -hmm. um, I got to make a mark for that. Uh, so, yeah... I would say with 
the logistics of all of these crimes, especially with the fact that this is a couple, you know, this isn't somebody walking down the street getting attacked by somebody. I mean, that happens, you know, and that's tragic too. But what we're seeing here is somebody who has enough confidence to take on two individuals. So one, he either is extremely good at what he's doing or or he's got somebody working with him. And I just have to believe that the person working with him may also be the one that's closest to him, which makes the bond between the killings and the truth that much stronger. Yeah, the FBI and the Virginia State Police right now are emphasizing what a loner Alan Wade Wilmer Sr. was. I do understand that, but I also think when I look hard, and I've been at these sites with the investigators in several examples and with profilers, when we were filming the Lover's Lane murder series for Oxygen, we spent hours out there with Jim Clemente and other FBI-trained experts, and they felt very strongly that it was a lot simpler to execute these murders and kind of their cleanup and this staging element, which is a very powerful signature in the Colonial Parkway murders. And remember what I said a minute ago about the fact that the retired investigators are telling me that Wilmer liked to play games. He liked to show his superiority and you can't catch me. And that he was doing these things to taunt the investigators and they should have been aware of this because this is what is what exactly happened in atlanta with the child killers you know atlanta child killings with wayne williams and he basically taunted the police he drove them around he would take them on you know little adventures and say come on you know it was very similar to de niro and goodfellas and yeah um you know come on boys let's go (laughs) and uh you know it's (sighs) But there's a, an element of game playing in it. I know it's a sick game and sad. Don't think I'm admiring any no, of it. No, no. But not. Um, even now, investigators have said some things to me recently that I really didn't sit well with me. I wasn't offended, but hear me out. They were saying things about the fact that Wilmer wasn't well-educated and that they were implying that he wasn't very bright. And I'm sitting there thinking, now this is after the naming of the suspect, I'm thinking to myself, what do you mean he wasn't very bright? He appears to have been getting away with brutal rapes and murders for perhaps as long as 40 years and maybe longer, and putting one over on really talented law enforcement people. Why are we insisting that he wasn't smart and wasn't well-educated? I actually think, He might not have had a lot of traditional book learning, but the guy actually was able to kill who knows how many people, often right under the noses of law enforcement. And why are we still putting him down like he's not smart? I actually think he's the smartest guy in the room. Typically, you do see these killers, especially ones that evade their whole lives. I mean, you don't find out until they're past all the things that they've gone through to kind of disguise what 
kind of person they really truly are. Mm-hmm. And he's an individual that I just don't see or understand how you can be such a pariah in a community or known as somebody who you just don't want to mess with that you get away with this stuff for so long and then never be held accountable for, for any of it. And where, I mean, it always makes you wonder, okay, did they have some political connections? But no, they didn't have any political connections. They were, you know, they weren't well off. They weren't, no, this no, wasn't the come, Mur- this wasn't the Murdaugh dynasty. No, they come know? from a very, very uh, modest background. You know, nothing fancy about their uh, homes right. or, or or cars. Or I, you had to put a fair amount of money into these boats, the fishing boats that they operated. They're not. He made a living. He made a living, but he was a work very much a working class guy. He made his living with his hands. Right. Um, he 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 fished. He crabbed. He oystered. He later transitioned over into being uh, a tree worker, and he had his own uh, business, Better Tree Service. But he's a guy who has always made a living on the land and in the woods and on the water. He's a master at those things. But even now, I'm troubled in listening to some of the investigators. I feel like even in death, they're underestimating this guy. The truth is, I think this guy is uh, has been hunting, literally. He changes his M.O. For years, and he totally changed things up. Yeah. And he's been getting away with murder for maybe as long as 40 years. You know, he, if you think about it, it, you talk about being intelligent. Okay, so let's say things get hot in the Colonial Parkway thing in the colonial parkway murders and he is feeling like, okay, well maybe I need to change up my game. I'm mm-hmm. going to stop being a waterman and I'm going to become a tree worker and open my own tree service that just coincidentally also goes to areas where there's been storms. And guess what? That's a transient lifestyle. And right. when you live a transient lifestyle, you are very much considered a prime suspect in a lot of cases in my opinion you should yep. definitely be looked at because it's been proven through studies about truck drivers and long-haul truck drivers that there is a propensity to be a likely serial killer in those professions whether or not you know it's not the profession that causes that it's the being able to be on the road and to move from victim to victim we saw it with the green river killer mm-hmm. um you know it, it and it's so not, many others. And so many others. I mean, the Highway 40 murders, there's just, there's so many different ones that you can look at. Mm-hmm. And let me add something here, Bill. The people are coming out of the woodwork, as you can imagine, and they're coming to us. We are urging people to speak to the FBI and the Virginia State Police and call the tip lines, email the tip lines. We really support that. At the same time, people are coming to us with new pieces of information. For example, a number of people have come forward to us and told us they hired his small company, Better Tree Service. Interestingly, he always insisted on being paid in cash. And now, again, that can be about avoiding taxes. I do understand it. Lots of people in those businesses try to be cash only. 
for a variety of reasons, but it also makes you much harder to trace in terms of where are you, who are you working for, where are you living. And this guy has plenty of incentive to want to disappear into the woods, which, as I told you, the investigators are telling me this guy was capable of doing all that and more. He, he was a master in the woods and on the water. And I think this guy knew how to literally make himself scarce. It's like and John some, Rambo. Well, not dissimilar. This, and this guy, as we talked about last week, Bill, he's a master archer, crack shot, as is, is his brother. They won, you know, best in county shooting Did competitions. I don't know that I know that yet. Okay. Um, we're learning a lot more about this man. I'm not aware of a military background. I wouldn't be surprised if there is one. Yeah, with I mean, with being a crack shot and, you know, just some yeah. of those things that you're kind of you're talking about kind of sound like somebody who's been trained. Yeah, maybe put for, some time in. Uh, but in, there's also in the being and there's also being in the backwoods, too, that makes you just somehow, you know, like you said, he's not not smart. You know, they're underestimating his intelligence yeah. e- even now. And I, I remember thinking book smart were- is not street smart. No, it's two different things. And and th- this guy, I think, is a stone cold killer and has been getting away with it for decades. That is ridiculous. And the fact that they had him in his crosshairs, and they just let him walk, it just is. It's embarrassing for law enforcement. Clearly, I would be ashamed to know that you know, the agency that I worked for dropped the ball that horribly. Yeah. And then to really not address the claims that, you know, like not acknowledging the other person that was at this polygraph, the fact that he could have been working with an accomplice, you know, there's going to be so much more information, just like you said, that going to start to come out i'm very interested obviously i'd love to have you back on to talk about when this stuff you know they connect him to other crimes because you're going to see it like you said it's going to happen like jim clemente told you there's going to be stuff that comes out you said people are already coming out of the woodwork talking to you i mean it took me 10 days to get you on I don't know who killed. I'm, so I'm so sorry. You know, I, no, I'm kidding. I so I'm kidding. enjoy these conversations, Bill. They, and they well, you know, I'd love to have you on because you help the listener understand where the case really is. You, I played the press conference on my feed last week with the purpose of having you on to discuss what it was about Thank you. that Thank that you. made you. I even prefaced it when I when I aired it that I, I was going to have you on at some point. And that, you know, we would address the issues that you had with one, the press conference, and then two, all these other things that go along with um, not necessarily uh, following through on certain aspects of this investigation. Mm -hmm. Could you hear the part when they were refusing to answer the reporter's questions? You know, it's not. And by the way, (laughs) notice how there wasn't a microphone that that made it very audible. Uh, they love to do that, so I have a little technique of enhancing the mic, enhancing their yeah. Because they clearly did not want to take questions, and they clearly didn't want to answer questions, particularly from reporters that are knowledgeable about the case. I think that's a clear red flag, just like all of the red flags that 
came up around uh, Wilmer Sr. And this is just, uh, it's insane to think that this guy could have been caught and families would not have had to suffer because we don't know what else he's done since then. I hope we will find out. I hope we will find out. And you and I will be back on Who Killed talking about more details. Um, One thing that a person said to me this morning was, well, Bill, they have to figure out who's going to take the reputational hit now, which is why they're scrambling so much. And that saddens me. Can we please just focus on solving this case and not worry so much about uh, reputational management? It really, it's really a shame, and it's 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 how we started this episode, and I guess that's how we'll end it. And that is, you know, when it comes down to certain organizations and people trying to cover up for other people or cover up for themselves, not necessarily again that they were doing something nefarious, but they just don't want to take the reputational hit, like you said. It is very frustrating because at the end of the day, all you guys want as victims you know, family members of the victim is answers and some transparency. And if they stonewall you at the end of the day, it's not very satisfying. Nope. It sure isn't. Well, Bill, on that note, which is a terrible one to leave on, (laughs) uh, let's talk about where people can uh, hear you talk more about this case. And you have done previous episodes on your podcast, Mind Over Murder. It's a great show. And again, uh, Bill, where, where else can people find you? Well, uh, we're recording a lot of new episodes on Mind Over Murder with my podcast partner, Kristen Dilley, and subject matter experts in the Colonial Parkway murders who've been very critical of the status of this investigation. And then we also have very active Facebook groups under the Mind Over Murder Facebook group and then also the Colonial Parkway Murders Facebook group. And we also have websites, mindovermurderpodcast.com and colonialparkwaymurders.com. Of course, we're scrambling to include all the latest information about these developments. So forgive me. The conversations on the podcast websites um, and particularly the Facebook pages are very, very active. People are asking us a lot of questions and we're doing our best to answer them, although we want to be careful that we support the investigation and don't interfere with the investigation. Because as disappointed as I am in the what I think is an overarching concern uh, about covering up mistakes in this case, we are trying to support the agencies in moving this case forward. And we're urging our listeners and our readers to help the FBI and the Virginia State Police with tips and information, particularly about if anyone had any contact with this Alan Wade Wilmer Sr. in the 80s or 90s when we believe he was an active serial killer. Well, that's all very, very interesting stuff. And I can't thank you enough for taking a few hours out of your crazy schedule and joining me on Who Killed. I know that the listeners enjoyed it and now they are up to date on where things stand. I mean, of course, things are moving rapidly, so we may new no we may have new information by the time this episode actually airs. But uh, this is the most current information to this point on January twenty third. So uh, 
I can't again thank you enough, Bill. You're always a great guest, and I really hope you just get the answers that they deserve. Thank to you. To give you, that's <laughs> the bottom line. Is the only way that you are going to be satisfied is when they say, "This is who did it. This is what we did, and this is how we know." And I think that will be the day where you can finally say. Thank you and move on. I mean, it's tough. I don't know what to say. How do you respond to that? Like, how would you, how do you, you mentioned earlier, like you'll be satisfied, but like you still don't have your sister. Well, nothing's going to change about that, Bill. We'll just have to take our good news where and when we can get it. Okay. Well, I think it's, I think it's difficult for some of these listeners who don't have such a close connection and know people that have been impacted by violent crime like this. And it's totally impacted your life. And I just can't wait for the day that you don't have to think about it anymore. I think you'll always think about it, but I think as time passed, I don't know, man, I'm just, I'm kind of lost for words right now because it's like, I feel so bad for you guys. And it's just like, they're stonewalling you and they're not giving you the answers you want. And it's just unfair, man. So well, just know, just know we're all pulling for you and we all want the best for you. And, and, and we just feel like as a collective, I think we feel like you've been kind of screwed in the last few weeks as far as not acknowledging you at the press conference, not inviting you to the press conference, getting you on a conference call during the press conference and uh, all the other weird things that just so happen to run, you know, concurrent with the, <laughs> the press conference. So the, again, the press conference is on this feed. If you want to listen to it before these episodes, that might not be a bad idea. So, uh, if you guys want to check that out, again, that is on the Who Killed feed. And I can't thank Bill enough for joining me. So, Bill, I'm going to let you go. And uh, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you so much to Bill Thomas for making time out of his busy schedule to join us on Who Killed. I always appreciate his insight into this case. And, yes, it's got to be extremely frustrating to see how this case has been kind of slow-walked to where it is at this point. So I understand the frustration. I mean, I really don't understand the frustration because I'm not a family member or a victim's relative, but I do understand his desire for justice. So big thanks to Bill and thank you guys for tuning in. As you know, I drop new episodes every Friday and you can listen to all my back catalog, wherever you get your favorite shows, and you can listen to Bill Thomas's podcast, Mind Over Murder, wherever you get your favorite podcast as well. So thanks again for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. And again, thank you and have a fabulous day. And as always, until next time, stay healthy and be safe. Three AM, the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're gonna get. You're gonna hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, 
glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.